I want to go to two verses, Matthew 22, 36 and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. I'm teaching on the subject of focus. Focus is where we center our interest, fixate our activities. It's concentration. You know, today we're, we're paying attention to the call to not forsake assembly, which is the habit of some. We are engaging and centering. This is a prioritization right now to go with God and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to us. You know, I thought about Mary and Martha all the times. Have you ever gotten weird and got all worried? Mary and Martha, Jesus was invited into their home and they served him a meal. And he was in this moment where he was preaching and speaking and uh, Martha was upset with Mary for not helping with the cleaning and the dishes and the hospitality. And uh, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted about so many things. He said, now Mary's chosen the good part. She's sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his word. You know, the dishes can wait. Everybody say the dishes can wait. We know it's good to be tidy. It's important to clean the dishes and that kind of thing. But sometimes one thing is priority over another thing. You know, for example, Patsy said to me yesterday, you know, we're so engaged in so many people's lives. And I said, yeah, but it's God first and then people, then time, then money. Planning is important, but sometimes, you know, you just have to be available to the Holy Spirit. We had a wonderful day of, I felt like it was a 42-hour day and a 24-hour period. Have you ever had those days? Sometimes they feel blasé and dry, but, but, you know, sometimes God has days where, you know, if we'll really focus and we'll really pay attention, we'll learn some things. We'll gain some ground. What a day, what a difference a day can make. A day of salvation, a day of healing, a day of revelation. I remember the day I got saved. You remember the day you got saved? That was a big day, you know, and teach us to number our days, you know, and to make the most of our time. So I think this is a, a good way to start. Father, I pray you would be with my mouth and help me to flow in the contours of the prophetic thing you want me to say today. In Jesus' name. Everybody say focus. It's the centering and prioritization on God and on the life of faith that we're to live as believers. It's a purposeful commitment to the goals that are primary, that God has set before us. So in the book of Matthew, the 22nd chapter and the 36th verse, an observant Jewish guy asked Jesus, the teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What a good question. He goes, Rabbi, Rabbi, I acknowledge, you know, the very fact that he's out calling him master or teacher means he's respectful. And he said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And, you know, the Jews had the Ten Commandments, but then they had, what is it, 600 and, 613 laws. And I've been around and had the privilege of interacting often with highly observant Orthodox Jewish people. And I owe my life to them because salvation came through the Jews. Jesus is fully Jewish. Isaiah is Jewish. Paul the Apostle, Jewish. They're all Jewish. So that's why anti-Semitism is such a horror because they're God's people. And to be anti-God's people is actually heinous if you think about it. That's where it comes from. It comes from Satan. But this guy understood the laws, and he was trying to figure out, what's the most important thing? What's my focus to be on? What's the big deal? I'm a man, and I just want to bottom line, 
make, you know, figure things out. You know, I want to get to the bottom line. Let's, let's cut through the superfluous. Let's get to the bottom line. Bottom line it for me. Bold italicize it. Put an asterisk next to it. Bottom line it. Keep it on one page. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And he says, what is the most and the greatest and the highest and the best, most significant target here? And Jesus, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. All the 16, 613 other laws, all the 10 commandments, all that they embody, no idols, no false witness, no coveting, no adultery, and so forth. All are distilled. If you're going to love God, you're not going to do that stuff. If you're going to make him your priority, you're going to make him your central focus through your lifespan, it's a good way to live. I've seen the zombification of our world, and I'm on an anti-zombie mode as a preacher. I don't want people to be numbly going down the broad path that leads to destruction. I want to be crying out in a clarion voice, a clear, distinct voice, this is the way, walk ye in it. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. No matter how high your achievements, no matter how brilliant your education, no matter how beautiful you are, or powerful or strong you are, or what accomplishments you've made, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? The soul of a person is so singularly important to the Lord that he insisted he would send his only begotten son that was different than any other human, fully God and fully man, who would come in an intervention to seek and save lost souls. Jesus came to obey the Father, and he came to save lost souls, and then he came to activate a people. And he defines the people that are born of the Spirit as new creations, as transformed beings that have never before existed. They even call it, Jesus is defined as the firstborn of many brethren. As he is, so are we in this world. He is singular in his deity. He is the head of the church, king of kings and lord of lords, and there's no one like him. And yet, in a very real sense, he took our sin and he imparted his righteousness as a gift, unearned and undeserved, unmerited, you can't earn salvation, but you must receive salvation. As many as received him, to them he gives the right and the power to become the children of God. We've received a spirit of adoption where we no longer have a, a spirit of slavery or bondage to fear, but we now have a spirit of adoption where we're able to say to our Heavenly Father, you are now my very own Father. I have had an intervention from your son Jesus, and there's legal paperwork called the Lamb's Book of Life that you've actually put my name on the Lamb's Book of Life, and it will not be blotted out. Nothing can snatch me from your hand. Jesus redeemed me. My Redeemer lives. He is sufficient. He never changes. He'll stabilize and sustain us in this life and in the life to come. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. What's not to love about the Lord? And yet we could get so numb. We could get so distracted, can't we? And notice the assistance and help and the pleasure of the Lord, of him helping us during our time of song, of praise and worship. 
He, in fact, does, according to Psalm 22, inhabit the praises of his people. And as we press in, he said, he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And when we draw near to God, he'll show up. He's present right now. And whether you sense his presence or not really makes no difference. It's helpful. You know, I got my emotions have been impacted. I was standing over here and I sensed the power of God in an unusual level. And it was wonderful. But it's not the basis of my Christian life. The basis of my Christian life is that book right there, the Word of God. It's forever settled in heaven. You search the scriptures to find eternal life, but I'm telling you, Jesus is the living Word. And as you go to the Genesis to Revelation, as we read Matthew and some of the final words of Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this is revolutionary. This is what the early church had packed as the forefront of their focus. And as they engaged with their other Jewish comrades and the Gentiles that they were called to reach, they had such a profound impact during the disturbed time of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, of the bondage of the legalistic wheezing and the bloatedness of the Jewish faith at the time, of how the idolatry wasn't satisfying people, the hedonism wasn't satisfying people amongst the nations, and how the hard taskmaster of trying to comply with all the 613 laws was so burdensome. That's why the guy said, could you just bottom line what I'm supposed to do? Love the Lord your God. Put him first. Have a relationship with him. Fellowship with him. Connect with him. Give to him. Serve him. And then how can you say you love the Lord? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. And how can you say you love the Lord if you don't love one another? So we don't get off the hook here. It has to be practical. Not only is it authentic in its origin, it has to be practical in its carrying out. How do you love the Lord? How do you follow through on this? In fact, Ephesians 5th chapter in the 10th verse says that we're always trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And I like that because Paul had been walking with God and was seasoned when he wrote that. And he wrote it to the Ephesian church that was doing pretty good. And he was saying, listen, man, we're always trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And, and we know immediately faith pleases God. We know loyalty pleases God. We know obey, obedience pleases God. But I want to go to kind of a summary that Moses spoke to the children of Israel. And for that matter, throughout the Bible, it's repeated and is a standard. So I want to use Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, to give you line upon line, precept upon precept, Okay. I've already shared, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. How, how many of you can get a hold of that? Easier said than done, but we can do it. We're loving God right now, right? What's not to love about him? He's so wonderful and, lo and lovely. He's beautiful. And, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. Some of us have so much self-loathing. That's why we spend a lifetime in insecurity trying to prove ourselves, and we become very obnoxious. So we've got to learn to crucify that stuff and overcome that stuff, always trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. It says this. What does the Lord, chapter 10, verse 12 through 13 of Deuteronomy. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? This is Moses speaking to ancient Israel. And for that matter, God speaking to us. But to fear the Lord, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him. And to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes 
which I am commanding you today for your good, for your good. Something about this. God has our best interest at heart. It's for your good. Say, say this with me. It's for my good. Dare we believe that? I saw a billboard out on a highway. God's not mad at you. God poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. And when you call upon his name, you're not destined for wrath. It's amazing that God loves you with an everlasting love. He's proven it with Jesus. I'm just, I'm not making up a candy-coated, sugar-coated, cheap gospel. This is, it cost Jesus everything. There was nothing cheap about it. And there's no candy on this. This is straight. God loves you and has value on you and proved it by having Jesus suffer and die on the cross. Read Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our healing. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Whatever systems or have a difficulty in your body, I'm trusting God for healing on your body. Listen, I've been healed so many times. I've been delivered so many times. I've had personal experience that corroborates the evidence of the scripture. First and foremost, I have the witness of the scripture. I have the witness of the history of what Jesus has done since the scripture's written and what he's worked throughout the nations of the generations before me. And I have my own personal testimonies of God overcoming my foolishness and forgiving me. When I fell, he picked me back up. When I sinned, he forgave me. When I was tempted, he delivered me and helped me and put a caution, guarded my mouth, helped, helped me to not say what I ultimately worked out in my head. You know, all these times you are in a situation, oh, I wish I'd have given him a piece of my mind. I thought this all out later on. You know, God delivered you from that thought process. You know, if you had said all that stuff, you might have sounded like a, like a district attorney or something, but you would, it would have, you'd have spent 10 or 15 years trying to recover from your damage. God delivered you from being a doofus. Who in here could say, my testimony is God has delivered me from being a doofus. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. So we see here targets of focus. And the first one is really interesting. The Lord, fear the Lord, your God. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What is the fear of the Lord? We, we know that God's not given us a spirit of fear. So is there some conflict in the verbiage here? What, does God want us to be paranoid and terrified of him? Of course not. God does not want us to be flippant about him. First and foremost, this term, fear the Lord, means reverence, respect, honor, attention, focus, prioritization. God, you're important to me. The psalmist said, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I got up in the dark. I prayed this morning, devotional first. Before I became Pastor Jeff, I was Christian, Jeff Perry, fellowshipping with God because nothing can substitute for that. And I have to flow like you do. I'm not exempt from the responsibility to learn line upon line and discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. And, you know, it's apart from my gift. And it's, I'm a Christian. I was a Christian before. I'll be a Christian uh, when there's no need for, for all this stuff because I'm going on for eternity with, with Jesus. And we're going to have good worship services in heaven like what we just had. Guys, that was good. Heaven was alert, and we're alert, and we're lining up. We're going to see days of heaven on earth. Hallelujah. And so that's why we're getting focused. And reverence is, God, I just want to acknowledge you. 
I love Proverbs 3. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So acknowledgement is, God, I don't want to be ignoring you. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you go 15 minutes without thinking about Jesus, you're backslidden. Well, I don't know if that's a true ironclad rule. I don't know. I think he was kind of persnickety, but I think I get what he means. Keep our eyes on him. I read a little bit in my devotional of Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And uh, I want you to hold the page on Deuteronomy, but we'll look up at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, because again, Paul is speaking to the young church in Colossae. And he says, Hey, if you've then been risen, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, how many have you been raised up with Christ? You've been saved, okay? Don't stop there. Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking, keep on keeping on. The things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind, I might as well say, focus upon the things above, not the things that are on your HDTV. Focus on the things that are not on your phone. My little Trent, the little 11-month-old baby, is going... It's like, next phone I buy, I'm going to just have to get it out of the box and have him show me how to use it. It's freaky. Set your affection on things above is intentional. One of the favorite ideas I found in the prototype church of Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they all went out effective, speaking the word, and, their, and people heard the gospel in their own language. The instant benefit of speaking in tongues was for missionary purposes, even before prayer, even before tongues and interpretation and prophecy. It is fascinating how God undid what happened at the Tower of Babel with a confusion to humanity and how he brought clarity in the day of Pentecost and the wonderful light and the wind of heaven that blew in to the church and the wonderful results where they went out in the empowerment. They went out with, with light. They went out with signs and wonders following. They didn't exert it. They, they were, it was a marvelous thing. It wasn't overly organized. It wasn't putrefied. It wasn't all layered up with a bunch of layers of, of having been painted over and over again for each decade of style. It was what it was. It was or, original. It was fresh. And uh, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out energized. They had their eyes fixed on him. They had expectation. They went out believing that something could happen in the lives of the people they contacted. They saw the downtrodden and they lifted them. They saw the hurting and they helped them. They saw the lost and they sowed the truth into their lives. And that's what I want to see happen in our case here, you know. And it happens from this. In Acts chapter 2, it says something so telling. It's similar to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. They were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. They were continually devoting themselves. I talked to some Krishna guys in the 70s, and they, they this were devotees, and I, I said, well, I do, it's not in my vernacular, and then I, oh, it's devotion. I understand devotion a little bit. It's dedication, it's focus, it's 100% commitment. Well, in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They leaned toward it. It was intentional. They used their, their volitional, decisional free will that God had gifted them with, and they yielded to and leaned toward God. And uh, what happened immediately in the next verse was there was a great awe, a sense of awe. Our God is an awesome God. 
awesome. We use the word to describe pizza. We use that word to describe, you did to describe my necktie or not. But we overuse that word. But it really, at the end of the day, our culture and our generation needs to be awestruck with something that's so compelling. And I'm telling you, it's packaged in your earth suit. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has dedicated something to you called a ministry of reconciliation. You have a power in your life to pray and that God, is, his ears are inclined to your prayer. People, you tell, people tell me, Pastor Jeff, I've been praying for you. I'm telling you, it's not a passing little cliche thing, a throwaway thing. It's like, thank you, thank you. I remember when Robert Schuler banged his head, had some sort of hemorrhage in Europe when he was preaching. Getting into a car, he banged his head on the side of the car door or something. And was in a terrible place. And I remember he got up in this, on the hour of power and he said, he started, broke down, he started crying. Thank you for whoever interceded for me. Thank you for praying for me. And he started crying. And I'm telling you, I noticed a shift in his ministry after that. I mean, he, he was being ridiculed for being too watered down and all this stuff. I met him. The guy was on fire for God. He had a heavy anointing on his life. He came and visited us and wanted to help us. He was, he was very sweet. I got to spend a little bit of time with him a couple of times. Hallelujah. He led one of my friends to the Lord without me knowing it. The guy secretly watched his show up into his 90s. He was hard and crusty. He got saved before he died, and he watched that man's show. So you want to ridicule him or Joel or anybody else, you go ahead and ridicule all day. But thank God the word doesn't return empty. I love preachers. I love church. I love the Presbyterians. I love what's going on in the body of Christ. I love the Lutherans. I mean, you listen, man. I love the church. I love Jewish people. I love the nations. I love the church. The Bible says don't be goofy with the Jews, with the nations, or with the church. Don't be anti-Semitic. Don't be uh, racist. And don't be uh, dismissive of the larger body of Christ. God just might be wanting to do some stuff in a lot of sectors that might be a little bit different than you. And the Lord is holy. Jesus is the head of the church. He is smarter than we are. He is amazing. And he's faithful. The fear of the Lord means to reverence him, to respect him. Patsy shared one time with me that the fear of man and the fear of the Lord are very similar. Like, and I thought, what do you mean? Because the fear of man is a snare. The fear of man in, the, in man pleasing is, is a hazard. Being pre and what it is, is it's being preoccupied with what other people think. So then when you think about the fear of the Lord, it's being preoccupied with what God thinks. It's like, what do you want, God? We want to we wanna know what you like. We're always trying to learn what is pleasing to you. Faith pleases him. Obedience pleases him. Loyalty pleases him. Love pleases him, right? So follow through. So we're learning that. Come on, we could do this. I could get this done. I've got about three minutes. Are you ready? God's people must trust him that he, in fact, has an eternal purpose. It won't be thwarted. We have faith in and, and reverence toward God that his plan is good. We trust his providential care for his people. And so we release our faith toward God. Everybody say, have faith in God. Number two, the Lord requires loyalty to walk in all his ways. The Lord will walk us through 
Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. We know he doesn't walk us into temptation because the Lord does not tempt us with evil. No one could say that he tempts us with evil. With every temptation, he provides a way of escape. But sometimes we've got to plow concrete. Sometimes we go through winter seasons. Sometimes we have mountaintops. Sometimes we go through valleys. But Jesus is ever present in the high times and in the hard times. And my Bible says he'll raise up the valleys and he'll level the hills. We speak to our mountains and we speak to the low points. He redeems our life from the pit and he restores our soul. There's soul prosperity happening and there's restoration taking place even right now. God is providing and he's faithful. He wants us to walk in his ways and, and make straight paths for our feet, turn our feet from every evil way that we may keep his word. He says, be holy for I am holy. That's possible only with Jesus living on the inside of us. He gives us these impossible to walk through responsibilities, but yet he gets on the inside of us and he is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're at our best when we understand how big and great God is. And when he calls us to love him, it's because he first loved us. We, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Say this with me, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. This requires love. The Lord requires that his people walk the love walk and love him supremely. Let's get back to our first love. And um, I don't think it stimulates some sort of sentimentality or idealizing the beginnings of things. But I do think, I don't, I don't want to confuse a honeymoon period with the full sustainability of a relationship, but I do think we can have a romance with God of deep affection and deep respect as our Heavenly Father. He's a wonderful, beautiful, holy God, and we can love him. And uh, I think about Gary Chapman, I think he's a Baptist actually, 1992, year before the flood, he came out with a book, Five Love Languages. Anybody familiar with it? And he, he talked about, and they're not the order of importance, but expression of love, giving and receiving gifts, giving and receiving quality time, number two. Number three, words of affirmation. Number four, acts of service. Number five, physical touch. One time I saw this outline and I thought, this is good for human relationships to identify what my kids, my wife, people around me, what jazzes them, what, so I could kind of speak their dialect. I know a lot of people who have married people of other cultures from other countries and they have, there's a culture shock, it's different. And particularly language, where we share the same language, Australia, South Africa, Britain, America, even though people speak English, there are vast, vast differences in culture, vastly different. So we've got to learn. And, it, and we come into the church, we get saved, people get married, and then it's like, wait a minute, what did I get myself into? Like, say I was a hugger, you know, physical touch. I would, I, I would hug Patsy, and she would just stand there and look at me. And I've won her over, finally. And then when Trent came along, this little 11-month-old, he's like, he's like reaching out. His first words are, I love you. I know, man. <laughs> he said, Mama, Dada, and then he says, Ra-ra-ra. Sometimes he will say, so he says it a few times. Maybe very much, maybe a whole lot, maybe the most. <laughs> it's the first sentence, but... I think we just exhibited 
I think we just exhibited words of affirmation unto the Lord, entering in with praise and thanksgiving. I think we can exhibit acts of service by corresponding action. Faith without works is dead. And so I think we're called to be doers of the word and that that's a way we follow through. So it's not theoretical overphrasing, it's practical application. You know, by your good works, you'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is a revolutionary moment for the church to get out of the box and get out of the boat and get out on the water in faith and walk these things out. And uh, who can harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? So loving God more than anything else. And I, Patsy said, I love God more than I love you. And I'm okay with that. It's not offensive to me. I'm appreci- I want that. That's centering. Some people love pleasure, wealth, power, uh, and other things. But God wants us to make him our central priority. And w- the way we could do that is just start our day. Turn on the light, read a devotional, get a cup of coffee or tea or water or whatever, and just begin to minister to the Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're my Father. God, I appreciate what Jesus has done for me. Here am I, Lord. And that's the next point. The Lord requires service. He requires action. To serve the Lord your God. When people have faith in God and they walk in his ways and they develop a love relationship with him and make him supreme in their lives with central focus, you'll notice there's a desire to serve him. The very best of our abilities with our knowledge and our gifts, our creativity, our energies. God, here I am. Use me. Here I am, God. I yield to you. The hungry are to be fed. The thirsty must have water. The sorrowing should be comforted. Strangers need to be acknowledged. The sick need healing and helping hand. Prisoners need to be encouraged. The sinners need to be saved. The field is ripe for harvest. Sadly, the reapers and harvesters are few, but I'm praying the Lord of the harvest will thrust forth laborers out of this place that are on fire for Jesus. Lastly, the Lord requires obedience more than sacrifice. He said to keep the commandments of the Lord. And what did Jesus' bottom line? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. There will be a pop quiz on some of this. You will be tested. I got tested on my way home from church last week. And I'm not kidding. It was vividly real. And I could hear this little voice in my own voice say, love your neighbor as yourself. Say this with me. I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Okay, now take a deep breath. And I love my neighbor as I love myself. The self-love aspect is nothing like the vanity and self-centered absorption of the world. Instead, it's just correct esteem of the value God places on his church, on his Christian, on the people. The Bible says how costly are the death of God's saints. I'm on a mission to pray you out of sickness so you live out your days because you are so, you're developing, you've evolved as a person, as a Christian, you're different, you're developing. My Bible says you go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. So I take issue when I hear that you're be- battling symptoms or dealing with situations. And I'm believing God, you're gonna live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I'm believing you're gonna live out your days. And listen, if you've been depressed or that kind of thing, that's from the enemy. 
Okay, he tries, to, he tries to get you down. But Jesus is the glory and the lifter of our heads. Let's lift up our hands. Lift up the hands that hang down. Take a big deep breath and I say, I believe, I receive God's favor into every area of my life. I love him because he first loved me. My Christian life is my focus. I'm getting on fire, filled with the Holy Spirit. The word is becoming real for me. Signs and wonders are following me. I believe for divine appointments, promptings in prayer, messages to give to people, inspired utterance, supernatural vision, divine thinking. I set my affections on the things above and not on the things on this earth. Jesus is Lord of my life. I love him very much, more than anything or anybody. And I'm walking this thing out with my friends all the way to the end because God's grace is sufficient. Amen.